This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome back to the Cooler Jets podcast for us, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, it is officially draft week. We could not be more excited, but there's one question on everybody's mind. Will Debo Samuel be a New York Jet by Thursday night? It's tough. I mean, I don't want to be too biased or too optimistic, but reading the signs that are out there, it does feel like there is a decent chance that it could come into fruition. I mean, I, I just want it to all be over. It's what I want. I want to be able to stop having to read all these signals on Twitter, check what people are liking, what they're posting on Instagram, all this stuff, because it, it's been tiring and it's really been you know, ever since the Tyreek Hill saga, just kind of constantly looking for who's that next guy that we're going to go after. Uh, and it finally seems like there is a realistic possibility with Debo Samuel. So we'll, we'll see if it plays out. I'm optimistic, but uh, we've, we've had our hopes dashed plenty of times this off season. So I don't want to get my hopes too high again, but I do think there is a, a decent chance that this does work out for the Jets. Yeah, and it's possible by the time you're listening to this episode, maybe he will be a New York Jet. Maybe he'll be a member of another team. If that's the case, skip ahead like 15 minutes because the majority of this episode, we're going to try to focus on the draft that's coming up. If he does happen to get traded to the Jets, obviously we'll do an emergency podcast to break it all down. But today, Michael, we want to focus on the draft, but I think it's, it's hard to talk about the draft without addressing the situation because, like you said, they were so in it on Tyreek Hill. If you read the tea leaves, it seems like the Jets have been desperately wanting to trade for a veteran wide receiver. There's all the connections with Sala and the floor. It just makes all the sense in the world. And the fact that the Niners did a very similar trade a few years ago with DeForest Buckner to the Indianapolis Colts, I think it was, what, the 11th pick? Very similar value. They could trade Debo Samuel. They could be in the prime position to replace him with the rookie. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense from all sides, especially since Debo has requested a trade. And it really sounds like he has no intention of being a San Francisco 49er. And if it was any other offseason, maybe I would – say, ah, well, they'll hold on to him. They still have three more years of contractual control with the franchise tags. But we've learned this offseason that star players seem to be getting their way and to not really trust anything. So it's it's a complicated situation. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start with this. What would Debo Samuel bring to the Jets? That's a, a very generic question, but it seems like the root of, a, of their issue seems to be maybe his usage in San Francisco. And we know the Jets run a similar, not an identical offense to San Francisco, but does it make sense for the Jets' perspective to bring him in if his big argument is against his, his usage in San Francisco? Yeah, well, I mean, you and I, before we started recording, we're doing some of our Debo research. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions with the, you know, sort of Debo discourse, especially among Jets fans, is this notion that he wasn't productive before they started using him at running back in the middle of the season. That's just completely false. I mean, obviously that worked great for him. And he's great in that role, but the first nine weeks of the season, when he basically was never playing running back, maybe a snap here or there, I think he only had six carries the first nine weeks of the season. He was averaging 110 receiving yards a game. He was second in the league uh, behind Cooper Cup over that span. So, And then even before the season, that's another misconception, is that he's a one-year wonder. 
his previous 17 games before this year, he had over 1,300 total yards, 1,100 receiving, about 200 rushing. So uh, this is a guy who's been a great player really since he stepped foot into the league in 2019. Injuries are the obvious concern, but he's a fit in this offense. He's effective even without, you know, bringing that unique element of being a, a running back lining up in the backfield. Um, obviously, he's still going to get plenty of design touches, whether it's screens, end arounds, and you can give him a couple running back carries, maybe one or two a game. Um, but he doesn't have to be doing what he was doing in the playoffs last year, like 10 carries a game to be effective. That made him unique, but it's 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 not necessarily something he needs to be effective. His overall production didn't change that much when they started doing it. Um, you could, you know, give him the same sort of touches by throwing him the ball. It's not necessarily something he needs. So it, it would be he'd be the number one receiver that I think they'd be looking for. Um, that they have been looking for this offseason, obviously a more unconventional style of that player. Um, but ultimately the production is still there. Um, he's going to be able to create offense for you on his own, um, both with schemed up plays and just getting more after the catch on whether it's a slant or a dig or a crossing route um, than most players in that situation would get. Um, so he's, he's a complete package. I don't really see any on-field concerns with him. It's just the injuries. And obviously, of course, what do you give up for him? What do you pay for him? But on field, this guy is a top five to 10 playmaker in the game, top five to 10 receiver in the game. And it would it would be tremendously exciting. I mean, I mean, do you have any concerns with him? We know the injuries on the field. Is there anything that gives you pause with him? Not really. I mean, I guess, you know, a guy like DK Metcalf or an AJ Brown might bring you something else that the Jets don't already have. And that's not to say the Jets can replicate what Debo Samuel brings, but they do already have, you know, smaller receivers, yak guys. And you do have to wonder, well, how much is Debo a product of Kyle Shanahan? I don't think he's a complete product. Like you said, I mean, he is a, a unique uh, player in this league. And I think you can put him on most teams and you're going to find uh, if you get the ball in his hands, you're going to have success. So I don't really have many on-field concerns for him. I think the only concern is, is especially when you're in the position the Jets are at, which look, they're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl this year to go ahead and, and trade multiple picks and pay a premium salary for any player, not just Debo Samuel, but especially a guy with his style of play, injuries are, are a factor. He's been injured before. And it's like, if you sacrifice all of that for, for a top flight weapon and then he gets hurt, you know, obviously you can't prepare for that. That, that risk comes with anybody they would select with any of the draft picks that they'd be giving up. But it's, you know, it is something to consider with his play style. You know, what, does he have a shorter shelf life because his, his play style relies so much on yards after contact? Um, but no, I mean, I think I think Joe Douglas will be full full steam ahead and be aggressive in, in, in getting him. Do you think that, you know, Joe Douglas had an interesting quote talking about the Tyree Kill uh, trade, you know, and they, they, they huddle afterwards. They discussed, you know, what could they have done better? What How could they have been more aggressive? And I think that signals to me and the 49ers have been very vocal about, you know, they're not going to trade him uh, unless they get a King's ransom as I guess the, the report that's come out. It seems like the teams that the jets are going to be competing against for Debo Samuel will probably offer their late ones. The jets could offer what they offer for Tyree kill, which is probably what they'll start with since that was publicized and everybody knows about it, which was 35 and 38. They're two second rounders. And then this is part I actually forgot is they were going to swap third. So the jets are going to give up pick 69 and, and the chiefs are going to send back 103. So it was, Two seconds, swap thirds, and you get a receiver. Um, but I don't know if the Niners would do that. I mean, maybe they would, but it sounds like they want a first-round pick. It sounds to me like if the Jets would offer pick 10 
and Debo is really has no intent of playing with San Francisco 49ers, he's a jet. Do you think the jets will do that? Or do you think Joe Douglas will desperately try to hold on to, to pick number 10, which it should be noted was expected to be used on a receiver. Not that that was a guarantee, but a lot of people were talking about pick 10 as a, as a receiver pick. Yeah. I think that's definitely the big question. Just reading the tea leaves and what's been out there. It does seem like 10 can get it done and it doesn't seem like the biggest package, but the value of that pick alone, at least based on the trade charts that are out there, is it's more than the Tyree Kill package, and it's more than any trade package we've seen for a wide receiver in the past few years. Adams, Diggs, the Hill trade that did happen, Odell, all those. Just the tenth, just the tenth pick alone is more than that. Um, and I agree. I think that's what the Niners will want because it gives them the opportunity to draft his replacement right away. Um, whereas with the later picks, you know, it's a great package. It's a great haul, but they're going to want to fill that hole and compete and help Trey Lance get off the ground this season. So uh, I think that's what it will take. It could even be a little bit more than that, but if Debo really is, you know, if he really wants out, then, uh, maybe the Niners don't have as much leverage to be picky and just 10 straight up. will get it done. Uh, so I think those are the big questions. Do the jets want to part with 10 and will it take a little bit more than that? Uh, I do think they would give up 10 because like you said, it seems like they are planning to take a receiver at that pick anyway. And the quotes that uh, Joe Douglas has been putting out uh, the past week have really, he has not been shooting down these discussions. He's been openly sort of uh, inviting this discussion about the Tyreek Hill trade, about being aggressive in these potential deals. Um, It does seem like that he kind of is feeling that pressure to maybe be a little bit more aggressive than he would typically be to make a move like this, to get a big time offensive player uh, to help Zach Wilson and to help this team win some games because, you know, his job is fairly safe. I, I don't really see a scenario where he's out after this year, but they have six wins and it's two years here and the pressure will come sooner rather than later when you're winning that few games. So I, it, I do think there are signs that he's going to be willing to get aggressive if that's what it, if that's what needs to be done for this trade to happen. So uh, I I can very much see a Jets trade for Debo, 10, 10 for him straight up happening within the next few days. It, if I honestly had to predict, I do think that's what will happen. I don't th- I'm not confident it will, but I do think that's the most likely scenario, just kind of reading everything that's happening. Yeah, and in some ways you'd almost prefer to give up 10 than 35, 38 and swapping thirds. And I know that might sound crazy, but I think in this draft class uh, – and. Look, I mean, you could go either way. But in this draft class, I, day two is really where the meat of this class is. And I don't think there's a huge difference from 10 to 35. The player that you're going to get, it's it's not as big of a, a difference as it has been in years past. I mean, this is a very deep class, but it's not a very top-heavy class. I think the reason you might want to hold on to 10 is not necessarily for the player that you would take at 10, but maybe for the trade-down opportunities. You know, you could trade, potentially trade Debo for 35 and 38, and then maybe you could trade down from 10 and recuperate a day two pick. And maybe, may, hell, maybe you pick up a first for next year, which will probably be a better class. I think that would be the only reason you would try to really hang on to 10. But outside of that, it's like, look, if you were planning on using 10 on Drake London or Garrett Wilson or Jamison Williams, whatever, it's like you can trade him in for the, you know, guaranteed great player as long as he stays healthy. You keep 35 and 38 and you can go in and bolster out the defense. You know, go take a safety, go take a defensive tackle, a linebacker, a corner, whatever. Um, 
in some ways I would almost prefer giving up 10, unless you know that you have a trade down scenario that, that really could be beneficial for your team. Maybe you fight uh, to just give up those day two picks. And as far as like the on-field stuff, I know you asked me about that and I, we kind of went off in a different way. It's like, to me, the, I think Debo Samuel is so unique that you're still going to want to use him as a unicorn. You're still going to want to give him jet sweeps and wide receiver screens and stuff, but yeah, putting him in the backfield, running him between the tackles. I can understand why Debo is not going to want to do that 10 times a game for 17 games and maybe even playoffs. The Jets have Braxton Berrios. You know, that's an all-pro kick returner. They can give him some of those running back reps. Um, Debo's not going to necessarily have to do that. And the Jets also, they signed uh, two big tight ends that can be maybe more of those jump ball, uh, those big-bodied targets for Zach Wilson. Because that would be maybe my only concern. And one of the reasons that I have started to come around on Drake London is, you know, maybe he's not the prototypical archetype you think of when you think of this uh, LaFleur offense, it seems like if you're just going to judge it from Shanahan, they want speed at receiver. And then, you know, the tight end can bring you your physicality. But the one thing about Drake London is if you watch any of, of Zach Wilson's college film, you know, he loved how he loved his receivers at BYU specifically Dax Milne and the ability to just put it up at the top shelf, let Milne go up and get it. And you're not going to find many players that are going to come out in any of these next few drafts that are as good at that as Drake London. And not just that, because those types of players a lot of times, like Jay Jarasega Whitehead is a good example a few years ago. A lot of times those jump ball guys don't necessarily always translate to the NFL. For me, there's two reasons why I'm more confident in Drake London. Is one, our good buddy Joe Blewett, who knows a hell of a lot more about route running than anybody else on Twitter, really believes in Drake London's ability as a route runner. It really says that, look, this is a guy is a, is a much better route runner than that he's being given credit for. That's one. But the other thing is his yards after catch, his yak ability. Drake London is second to none in my opinion in, the, in this draft class sure you can find the speedier guys but when you look at, at drake london's ability to just take a 10-yard hitch and get 25 yards breaking four tackles by the dbs i mean that's invaluable in this offense and i think he, the jets could have a lot of fun with that and if zach wilson was going to choose any of these rookie receivers i think he might choose drake london so if you bring in debo you're obviously going to sacrifice that and that puts more of an emphasis on uzama and conklin being your big body targets because if the jets are trotting out debo elijah moore and Corey Davis or whatever, they don't necessarily have the biggest receivers in the world. And I think you saw at times Zach Wilson kind of struggle. You know, he's, he's a smaller quarterback. When you have a guy like a big quarterback like Josh Allen, having small receivers isn't the end of the world. But when you have a, a smaller quarterback like Zach Wilson, giving him a big body guy outside isn't the end of the world. But as long as Uzama and specifically Tyler Conklin, who really displayed his ability to go up and get those vertical balls uh, on the field and getting them involved for Zach, I, I don't think it's it's an issue. Um, but getting the the you know, certified stud and Debo Samuel, I think is worth it. And this is why you have a rookie on a rookie contract. You've, you've saved this money for this exact situation and right. whoever they pay a 10, I forget exactly who, who tweeted this out, but you know, whoever they pay a 10, isn't the goal to, to inevitably eventually be able to pay them in five years. And, and in that scenario, in five years from now, you're going to be paying Zach Wilson already. So you can go ahead and bring in a guy like Debo while Zach is still in his rookie contract for the next three or four years. Um, and, you know, he's, he could be huge for Zach Wilson's development. And I think and lastly, before we, you know, uh, you know, we could dive more into this and then we can move on, but the Jets have put a real emphasis on, on Yak this off season. And I was just talking about that with Drake London, but you see that with Uzama is that they felt like, you know, Zach Wilson wasn't getting really any help from his receiver room, not just, you know, drops and, and miss, you know, uh, bad routes or whatever, but it was like a lot of times last year, you'd see Zach Wilson complete a 15 yard pass. And that was it. Where in, in other offenses, you'll see a 15 yard pass and a receiver can take it, you know, 20, 30 more yards. And that's what Debo Samuel is going to bring you. And you pair him with Elijah Moore and you pair him with this offensive line and these tight ends and, and Michael Carter and Zach Wilson can take 
he doesn't even have to take a monster leap, even if we just see the growth that we saw at the end of the season. You know, the Zach Wilson we saw against the Bucks and the Jaguars. Um, this is a damn good offense. I mean, is it is it elite? Maybe not. But this is a top 15 offense in my eyes, and with the ceiling to be even higher. So I'd be all in on this. I think Joe Douglas will be. If you read the tea leaves, it seems like the only thing in my eyes that will, will hinder this from happening is San Francisco being stubborn and not wanting to move Debo Samuel, not wanting to give in to his trade demands, trying to set a precedent that you can't just whine and get out of, uh, out of town. That would be the only thing that would hold it back. But given that they made a, a very similar trade two years ago with Buckner, given the fact that he seems like he was close with LaFleur, he seemed like he likes Sala, he, doesn't, he wants to be on the East Coast. The Jets have this need. We know they've been aggressive. They have the, the capital and the, the money to do so. Just everything is aligning for this to happen. And, and if, you're, if you're asking me, to be honest, if Debo Samuel a Jet by Thursday night, I would say yes. I think he is. But if he's not, I'm still very happy with sitting back and taking a guy like Drake London. This is not – it won't be the end of the world for me if the Jets don't get Debo Samuel. But if I had to put my money on it, I would bet that Debo Samuel's a Jet by Thursday night. Yeah, I, I agree with you. you if they don't get him, I'm, I'll still feel okay about it. Cause like you said, I like the options that they have at 10 and they're still in a good spot, but um, just to close up this topic on him, I think like, I understand that some fans are skeptical of the pursuit because of the capital you have to give up the price you have to pay for them. Um, but I, but like you would just explain, this is, you know, the jets have been preparing for this moment with the assets that they've collected with these trades, you know, trading Darnold, trading Jamal Adams, they can trade the 10th pick. They can trade, you know, that Tyree kill package and they'd still have the sixth most valuable collection of picks in this year's draft based on uh, the cumulative value of all the picks that they have. So they have that comfort to where they can make this sort of aggressive move and they'll still have a, a chest of picks that can help them rebuild this roster um, and then in terms of the cap space part of it, like you said, and um, this is a tweet I saw, I forget who tweeted out, but it was a great point, is that basically with this trade, you're accelerating to that goal of what you hope to get out of a player you draft in the first round. You hope that player can be good enough to where in four or five years, you give them that big extension and they can, you know, push towards, you know, a decade of playing with you. And this is just accelerating to that point. And obviously, you know, Best case scenario, would you love to have Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, superstar receiver making $6 million a year? Absolutely. You would love to have that. But that's just such a minority um, outcome for a 10th overall pick for any first round pick that it's, it's not something you can bank on. Those guys are like one out of 10 outcomes. More than a third of the time, you're drafting a complete bust, whether it's Henry Ruggs, Kadarius Tony's going to get traded now, Corey Coleman, Maybe. Laquan Treadwell. Josh Doxson, Nikhil Harry, Jalen Rager. Jets legend Josh Doxson, by the way. Right. And a future, I actually want him a lot in that in that draft, but that goes to show you, like as much as you love these prospects right now, you you can't really you have to value history, the the brutal honest of history over your you know love for them right now. Yeah, the statistically, most of these is, guys are gonna bust. Exactly. Like you just have you have to value the pick as what it's most likely going to give you. And there's a small chance it's going to be a home run, but there's a much bigger chance it's going to be a bust. And most likely it's going to be somewhere in the middle, just an average, you know, decent guy like Corey Davis is basically the average expectancy of what you're, what you're going to get out of this pick, what he gave the Titans, you know, three, four years of, he's pretty good, but you know, you're saving a lot of cap space with that, but isn't cap space there to pay good players. Is that not why you have it? I think Debo Samuel's pretty good, 
I, I last time I checked, he had including the playoffs over 2000 yards last season. I, I think that's all right. So I would <laughs> like to pay that sort of player. Um, I don't know. I think for me, I'm willing to, I think that's what you save cap space for what you save these surplus picks for is to make this type of move to add a superstar quarterback supporting player in his prime. So I don't have any reservations about making a big trade offer and uh, giving him, you know, trading all the picks, however, you know, even if it's just a 10th pick, um, whatever valuable pick you have to give up to get him. So uh, hopefully, hopefully this plays out and we have a reaction pod to post in a couple of days. Yes. I mean, our our plan for draft weekend, similar to what we did, I think exactly the same as what we did uh, last year is, Obviously, Thursday night, the draft, we'll record a podcast. It'll come out Friday morning. Uh, we'll have, you know, reviewing night one, previewing day two. Sam will go for uh, for Saturday morning and Sunday morning, and then we'll probably do a, a mailbag that'll come out Monday. So we'll have four straight days of podcasts uh, next week. Um, but, hey, if, if the Jets have uh, make news about Debo, maybe we'll have, what is that? I mean, including this podcast, that that's like six podcasts in a span of seven days. So if the Jets make this uh, this trade, you'll have a lot of CYJ coming your way. But it, just to close this topic out, you mentioned it. You know, the Jets being in this position is a credit to Joe Douglas. This is not luck. All those trades and the amazing value he was getting. Obviously, if the Jets sit back and make those picks, I, I trust this Jets scouting department. Not all of them are going to hit. That's just a fact. Um, but I trust that they will be able to make, you know, this team a lot better with just the picks, but the fact that they're in the position to trade for proven commodities is a credit to Joe Douglas. And like you said, maybe he doesn't have the wins on his resume the last two years after he's cleaning up McCagan's mess and he's dealing with Adam Gase and it's a new system last year, but I, I really like the direction that, that he's, that he's put the jets in um, and they're primed to make a move like this. So we'll sit back and see what happens. Hey, maybe, maybe it's not Debo. Maybe they make a move for DK. Maybe they go after AJ Brown. Maybe they don't. And and they draft a rookie receiver. And even in that case, I'll still be excited because I think there are still, you know, the, the harsh reality is a lot of those guys will bust, but they're still going to be, they're going to be, a, there's going to be a pro bowler in this draft at receiver. Well, maybe I shouldn't guarantee that, but there'll be good players at that spot um, that the jets can still get. So uh, I'm just really excited for the draft to roll around. I'm honestly kind of sick of talking about it. We have one more episode, Michael, of, of breaking down all these prospects, and then we're done. Then our next episode, we'll officially be talking about who the Jets drafted. Um, so let's just hop into it. Um, I guess, you know, when the when the Jaguars get on the clock, and this is the, really the first year that I can recall where I really have no idea who's going number one. I mean, I think we were probably guessing Hutchinson, but there's some Evan Neal smoke. There's some Trayvon Walker smoke. It could be Ike McWanu. Trent Baalke said they're considering uh, four players uh, at that spot. I, I would imagine those are probably the four guys that they're considering. Um, and, I, you know, I, when the Jets are on the clock, I won't be looking at my phone. And maybe I won't for the first three picks. I'll just sit back and see Roger Goodell announce the picks with with my heart in my throat, hoping that uh, I guess Kayvon's the guy we're all cheering for, for the fall. Maybe, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's the, the pipe dream. Um, but what is your ideal draft rooting guide um, for the first three picks? You know, when the Jaguars get in the clock, who should Jets fans be hoping they take uh, to produce the best case scenario um, for pick number four? Like you said, it's just a, this is the most unpredictable top of the draft that I can remember in recent memory. I mean, you mentioned the Trent Balky saying they have four options at the top of that draft. Like I think most of us are penciling in Hutchinson number one, but I was looking at some Jaguars fans and what they're talking about just on Twitter and stuff. And, it, Hutchinson is not the consensus for them at all. There's a lot of Neil talk. Equanu Walker is a is a favorite for them. So it it's definitely wide open. So 
I think in terms of a rooting guide for me, and I think you agree as well, Kayvon is the guy we want at four. Right. So any non Kayvon pick is going to be getting cheers out of me, hoping he falls down. Um, so to start out, I think a non Hutchinson pick number one would definitely be a good thing because, you know, the next pick is probably going to be Hutchinson to Detroit. Then you just need Kayvon to get past Houston, which is that's going to be the tough one because do they take him? Do they go with one of the O-linemen, Gardner? Um, but I think number one, if it's not Hutchinson, I think that's a good start because I think at least then Thibodeau's getting to three, and then we just need one more. Uh, how about you in terms of rooting? Yeah, I think I'm going to be cheering for an offensive tackle um, maybe to go number one. Evan Neal yeah. would probably be the best because he's the one guy out of all those guys you listed that I, I don't see the Jets taking. I don't see the Jets taking Evan Neal. Right, and I think another part of that too is that if he goes number one, I would feel more confident the Texans would take Equanu than if it were the other way around. If Equanu right. went one and then Neil were still there. Well, except except Laramie Tunsil is maybe more of a left tackle and Evan Neal's more of a right tackle. I mean, right. I really have yeah. I really have no idea what any of these teams are gonna do. I, I have no sense of of uh, of anything outside of if unless you buy the reports that the Lions don't love Kayvon and the fact that the Lions would probably take Hutchinson if he's on the board. Michigan guy, he just seems like I don't see any way Hutchinson gets past two. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's like I could see the Lions taking Malik Willis. I could see the, the Texans taking Sauce Gardner or Aquanu or Evan Neal or Trayvon Walker. I mean, I could see them taking Thibodeau. I really have no clue. I, I guess the best case scenario would be – I'm trying to be realistic. I, I would say um, – I guess, yeah, Evan Neal at one would be great. Uh, then probably Hutchinson at two. And then you're sitting pretty. And the, the scenario that we've been talking a lot about uh, is the potential of the Jets taking an offensive lineman. I mean, at, at four, you know, what if the top three picks do end up going Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then at three, um, the, the Texans take Trayvon Walker. I mean, then you're sitting in a position where you're choosing between Ekwanu or Sauce Gardner. And hell, even if the Texans take, uh, let's say, Sauce Gardner or something, then you're staring at Ekwanu versus Trayvon Walker, which I don't know if the Jets would immediately go at the edge, even though edge is probably a bigger need than offensive tackle. Um, if Ekwanu is a blue trip, Joe Douglas had a lot of interesting quotes this week about potentially taking an offensive tackle. And I think Jets fans should be ready for it. That if Kayvon's on the board, I think he's the pick. I don't buy into the, the, the smoke that may, you know, that he's off the, the field. He's not a good guy. It seems like the Jets beat reporters have been reporting that the Jets have, have been pretty, I like Kayvon Thibodeau a lot. So if he's on the board, I think Kayvon's the pick unless Hutchinson's on the board. Um, but if he's off the board and the Jets are choosing between Ekwanu and Trayvon Walker and Sauce Gardner, I think there's a good chance the Jets might go Ekwanu. He had that quote where he was quoting his 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 mentor, Ozzie Newsom, where he said, you know, uh, a luxury today might be a need tomorrow. And that, you know, they're always going to keep the mission their mission, which is focusing on the offensive defensive lines. If Ekwanu is the number one guy on their board, the number, whatever, top three guy on their board, he's a blue chip player at a super important position on this offensive line. And one that I, I don't mean to say anything, you know, ideally, I think you might you might be set with Fant and Becton, but there's a lot of question marks. You're you're banking on Fant, um, you know, maintaining his level of play in, in a season where he had a fairly easy schedule against pass rushers last year. But you're saying that okay, he's going to maintain at left tackle uh, that that he hit his stride, and even if he plays really well, you're going to have to end up paying him at the end of the year. You know, sixteen, seventeen million dollars if he's going to be your starting left tackle, and then you're banking on Makai Becton being healthy being able to switch to right tackle and playing good football. I don't mean to say anything. The last time we saw him, he wasn't necessarily playing good football in training camp. Maybe that was overblown. Maybe he was just going against Carl Lawson, but I think we've learned that, you know, as with the Denzel Mims situation, 
we shouldn't just completely shrug off everything that happens in training camp. He wasn't having a great camp. He showed up overweight. He battled injuries the entire year. It's unfortunate. I'm not writing Makai Becton off at all. I think if you take Ekwanu, your dream scenario is that you can have Ekwanu and Makai Becton as your offensive tackles. Because if your mission statement is the trenches and you're also trying to protect the quarterback, I mean, that's one hell of a way to do it. If those two guys can stay healthy and dominate your run game, first of all, the Jets would have arguably the best offensive line in the league. Your run game is going to dominate. Zach Wilson is going to have all day in the pocket like he did at BYU. I mean, there's a lot of positives about Ekwanu, but Michael, I know you're not a fan necessarily of taking Ike McWan. You might love the player, but I know in that situation, maybe you'd prefer Trayvon Walker or Sauce Gardner. I guess just walk us through your thought process if the Jets face a board that is choosing between Ekwanu and Walker or Ekwanu and Sauce or all three of them. That Kayvon is off the board. What's your thought process and what do you think Joe Douglas' thought process will be? Well, firstly, just to focus on Ekwanu and the tackle position. So like you said, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think I've talked about it on here plenty. But uh, you sort of pulled me to the dark side a little bit to where I, I will accept it and understand it. Um, but just to play the devil's ad- advocate and explain sort of why I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I think for me, it's just with the fourth pick, I really want and maybe it, it probably sounds a little short sighted, but I want to be able to have that player with a pick that high have a clear path to this is what your role is. You can come in and help us right now. like you have your role and you just got to play your way into keeping it long-term. Whereas with this, you know, there's a lot of gymnastics and, you know, you're playing them, you know, playing the gymnastics with good players with Becton and George Fant guys who, if healthy, if they can ma- maintain the performance, whatever questions they both have to answer have proven, they can both be very high level tackles. So it's not like the position is a weakness right now. And again, I get everything you're saying, all those concerns, that's why I can't accept it with Aquanu, who's a great prospect, who I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, the talent at number four for Aquanu, the value's there. Um, so I'm just not the hugest fan of the position need. It would also be the third year in a row uh, picking an O-lineman top 15, and they haven't taken a defensive player in the first round since 2019, haven't taken one in the second round since 2017. So it's there hasn't been a lot of defensive attention. They really need that, so I wouldn't love the – that as well um ignoring another potential defensive pick um so there are some concerns i have and i am concerned about you know what if that scenario happens where fan plays great Becton plays great they're healthy now you got both these guys and like do you want to take that risk of trade one of them and force aquanu in there um so there are some things i'm concerned about but i do absolutely understand that you know forward-looking approach of Let's plan ahead. Let's be real and kind of uh, anticipate that one of these two players are not going to work out. And let's be ready for that scenario with a great prospect. So I do understand it, although I would prefer to go in, I think, either the Sauce Gardner or Trayvon Walker direction. If uh, if Kayvon isn't there, I think I'd prefer Gardner over Walker just because I think the talent gap is too big. I think Gardner is... uh, I mean, he's as clean as a cornerback prospect can come with the technique and the fundamentals, the length, the speed, the production. It's all there. So I think he's too far ahead of Walker for me overall to take Walker over him. But with the positional value of edge and his ceiling with his athleticism and and go watch his tape, go watch Joe Blewett's film breakdown. That's what swayed me because because um, you guys know I'm a, I'm a stats person. So with his poor win rate and pressure rate 
very few sacks, all those things. I, I should not like him, but I do because when you turn on his film, you can see the potential and how good he can be. And you can also see the floor to where this guy is not going to be a bad player. He can run stunts very effectively is a good run defender. Um, and at the worst, he's so athletic and so powerful and does have decent pad level to where he's going to bull rush some guys and create havoc that way. It's just, can he develop the moves and the, the finesse moves and the technique and the pass rush plan to be a superstar? So um, I'm a pretty big fan of Walker. I'd like Gardner more to where I'd prefer him despite the positional value. Um, but I, I would prefer, my order would be if Kayvon isn't there, one Gardner, two Walker, three Aquanu. But those are the three picks I'd accept. Anything else, specifically Jermaine Johnson, at least among guys who are in the mix, I wouldn't be a huge fan of. But um, but those three picks I can absolutely get on board with. And I'd be very excited with Gardner specifically. Yeah, I was looking back at, at our podcast from last year. And I think the thing, you know, post-draft, and I think the thing we kept reiterating is we really need to remember this for next year, referring to this year, is that they don't draft for need. NFL teams rarely draft for need. They look at the positions that they value and they're going to go with the best player available, you know? And and if Iguanu is a blue chip player, it's clearly a position they value. I wouldn't be surprised. And look, there's even a scenario where they take him over Kayvon. I'm not saying they would, I think they would take Kayvon over Iguanu, but I really think that um, Jets fans should be more, maybe more open to the fact that he could be the pick. Um, And look, if they, if they don't, they've said this, and you have to take everything that GMs and assistant GMs and whatever say before the draft, because maybe it's just smoke, but they've said, you know, uh, obviously we like this edge class, but they don't have a headliner um, like in years past, you know, referring to the Bosa brothers and Chase Young. And maybe that's just to try to drive Kayvon's value down. So he'll fall to four, but if they feel that way and they feel that Ekwanu is, who by the way, is a perfect scheme fit. It's not just that he's a great tackle, or, you know, at a position, like he is a perfect fit in this offense. Right. to pair yeah. with, you know, with Becton or, or George fan or whatever. Um, you know, if, if they don't feel like there's a big gap between Kayvon and the other edges, look, maybe they do take Ekwanu and then at 10, they can go with Jermaine Johnson or George Karlaftis or hell, look, let's say they trade for Debo Samuel. They take Ekwanu at four, they trade for Debo Samuel. And then at 35, and these are guys we haven't talked too much about, but Boye Mafe, Abikidi, I think one of those guys is going to be there at 35. And I don't mean to say that Boye Mafe specifically, and it's purely based on the senior bowl, but he looked like a stud and a half. And if they feel that there's not a huge gap between Kayvon and Carl Aftis and Jermaine Johnson and Walker, whatever, and they feel like there's a huge gap between what Ekwanu can bring you, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind. If they draft Ekwanu, there's going to be a segment of Jets fans that will be upset immediately. I would just say sit back and just see how they address the rest of the draft. Because if they walk out of there with Ekwanu, and they've traded for Debo and they get boy Mafe. I'm going to be really freaking happy, you know, even though Ekwanu might not be the sexiest pick. You mentioned Sauce Gardner and look, I love Sauce Gardner. I called it back in January. I said, he's, he's cornerback number one. Uh, it'd be a dream to take him at 10. Obviously he's, he's flown up the draft boards and I would be happy with him at four. I think my only question mark would be, would the Jets do it? I mean, everything they've said, the kind of the inverse of, of what we were just talking about, everything they've said has been about the trenches, taking guys in, in the offensive line and the defensive line everything they've said has been that they don't really value corner and not just everything they've said, everything they've done. I mean, corner was a way bigger need last year and they waited till day three of the draft to pair somebody with their outside corner, who was a day three pick himself, who had only started a few games at the end of last year. Like, I mean, that's how little they valued corner and trusted their guys to, to, to develop a corner. So I understand that sauce might be a blue chip player, Daniel Jeremiah, who is Joe Douglas's 
Um, close friend had the Jets picking Sauce Gardner. Maybe that's something to note. Um, I would be very happy if he's the pick, but it's more so not what I want him, but do I think the Jets would do it, which is more important. I'm not the GM. It's Joe Douglas. And if Joe Douglas's team, and like you said, the pressure is going to start to turn on, Joe Douglas is going to draft Joe Douglas's team. Um, and all, you could also make the argument that tackle might be in a better spot, might be in a worse spot than cornerback. And tackle is a more premium position. And the only reason I would say that is not is, you know, I, I think that with Becton's injury issues and with, with, you know, before last year, everybody thought, including the Jets, that George Fant was a bit of a, a jag or just a guy. They signed Morgan Moses. You know, there's, there's question marks attack. Where's corner? It's like they did just sign DJ Reed. I thought Bryce Hall had a nice season. They like developing their young guys. It's like you can make the argument that corner, and, and it was an extremely productive group last year. Obviously, it wasn't an amazing group, but Michael, I mean, you, you were talking about all season, how the cornerback play has been much better than we expected. Uh, and part of it was the scheme and part of it was the coaching. So you could make the argument, hey, tackles in a worse spot than corner, even if you you, you might look at the corners and not know um, the guys like, you know, the tackles and, and invested the same capital that they've invested at, at tackle. I just think it's a it's a fascinating discussion. And and but if it's on the board between Equanu and Sauce, I think they're going uh, Equanu. If between Equanu and Walker, it really comes down to their valuation. Um, clearly, the ceiling is there with Walker. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Michael. The only concern I would have with maybe with Kayvon Thibodeau, and I think he would be a good scheme fit. I think putting him in a wide nine, having him rush from five tech, nine tech, giving him, you know, you know, the ability to just capitalize on his natural athleticism and his burst and his get off is going to be great for him. But when it comes to, to rundowns and specifically the jets play this wide nine front, but a lot of times they like to have one defensive end, like Carl Lawson, you know, split out at seven tech or nine tech, you know, have that speed rusher uh, outside of one uh, offensive tackle. Uh, and then last year they had JFM play defensive end and he was more of the bigger body, the Eric Armstead defensive end who's supposed to be, you know, he, he's, he can hold up against the run. You can move him inside on, on third downs as a pass rusher. He gives you maybe a bit, bit more size versatility. He can, he can contain the pocket. He can um, hold the edge. I think Trayvon Walker, like you said, his floor is definitely that he can come in and I think you're confident in his ability to maintain the edge. And then it's just about developing his ceiling as a pass rusher with Kayvon. If you watch his film, there are times where he does get blown back a little bit you know, especially in the run game. And there might be a concern if, if you're going to have Carl Lawson and Kayvon Thibodeau, not to say that they're not violent edge rushers, but, but there may be more finesse speed guys. And we saw how bad the Jets were against the run last year. That could cost them. So, you know, how do you see Trayvon Walker potentially being? I know some Jets fans not, might not be as excited if he's the pick over Kayvon. He's not as sexy of a name. He doesn't have the production. There's still some scars from Vernon Golston, who is, you know, a workout warrior who, you know, shot up the ranks and, and after the, after the college season, the Jets take him and he a massive bus. There's still some scars there, but I guess talk Jets fans into Trayvon Walker. And I guess what he could bring to this defense immediately uh, opposite Carl Lawson. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing I would say is the floor in terms of being okay with him, because you know, obviously there's risk with this player who is going to be drafted very high relative to what his production was. So that's scary, but I think you should feel okay knowing that this guy is, he's not going to be bad. I, I, have, I have a really hard time seeing that just with the tools he has. I think he showed you he can set the edge. He's versatile. Um, so that's a, a plus as well. Um, and stunts are a, a big part of like being able to execute stunts doesn't make you a star pass rusher because it's, you know, a team oriented thing. It takes multiple guys to run it. It's not self-created. So it's not, you know, a difference-making trait, but it is important. Teams run it a lot. 
the Jets ran a lot of them last year. So um, it is, it's something that he's good at with that as well. And that's just another thing where, you know, crash down, use your explosiveness, take up space. Um, and he also times them well, because it, it's not always as simple as just, you know, crash down into the guard, let your tackle loop outside. You got to be able to kind of, you know, sell your moves a little bit to get, so you can catch the lineman off guard and really run it effectively. And he does have that. Um, so I think he has traits to where this guy can play decent average NFL defensive lineman football at the worst. And the potential is just, it's incredible. The 40 time he ran at his weight, uh, I believe he had, yeah, he had the best 40 time ever in terms of the history of the combine um, for a guy who weighed at least 270. So the, the tools are off the charts. And I know obviously the Jets fans, there are Vernon Golston scars. I wasn't watching at that point to have those scars. So maybe it's a little bit different for me, but, um, uh, but, but there are examples of these yeah, guys. This is actually, this, 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 this will be the first draft where the draft, if the Jets take like Kayvon, I think he was born December 2000, Michael, you'll be older than him, which is, which yes. is a weird thing to, you know, what's he, I mean, last year that was for me, you know, Elijah Moore and I are basically the, the exact same age. Um, it's weird. I mean, just to say your fanship changes that 2008 year, which is Vernon Golson's rookie year, was like the first year that I really, you know, knew what I was watching. It was, you know, crying after losses <laughs> uh, and whatnot, but yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is a weird thing to see their, their birthdays and be like, Oh, this guy's an old prospect. And it's like, Oh, wait a second. He's my age. Like, yeah. It is. <laughs> it is really crazy. Like Jermaine Johnson, this guy is ancient. Did he fight in world war two? And he's like two years older than me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, um, it, it's pretty wild. Now all these guys are, the same exact uh, some of these guys coming in this year will be either the same age as us or or younger so very wild i'm just glad i'm not in the spot where i was i mean because i've had a podcast in the jets and you're kind of in a similar situation for, i had a podcast when i was like 15 so now we're starting to hit the age where it's like all right the, the old heads can kind of at least listen to us and not have to turn it off because of our squeaky voices i mean at least yeah. one of us um, yeah I, I was definitely past that point by the time i started so i didn't have <laughs> yeah. to go have yeah, you to came go into the scene with the development phase you, yeah you, you, yeah you already had the beard at like 16 yeah um <laughs> now there's a fun hypothetical if the jets do trade for debo samuel let's say they they do the tyree kill package they give up 35 and 38 and they swap thirds or whatever it is they just do the exact same trade that they offer for tyree kill they're sitting at 10 and i think in that situation they would probably be looking to trade down but if they can't get a trade down, let's say Malik Willis was the guy that they were going to, you know, they had a deal of whatever. Malik Willis goes and another quarterback goes and all of a sudden no team wants to trade up to 10 and they have to, to take a guy at 10. Who are some of the, the, the favorite targets of yours at 10? Assuming they dress wide receiver with Debo Samuel, assuming they don't have two second round picks. Um, obviously, it, it, some of it will depend on who they take at four. But who are some of the targets at 10 that maybe we weren't considering, you know, uh, without Debo Samuel because we've been kind of penciling in this pick as a receiver? Yeah, when we were running through the scenarios, like with the different Debo trades that could happen, this is the most interesting pick because, um, you know, if you lose those second, third round picks, you're penciled in at four and 10. Say you get your edge rusher at four, Kayvon or Walker. And what do you do here at 10? It opens up a lot of possibilities that we're not talking about right now because of what you said. Like we're looking at receiver, we're looking at edge rusher if they don't go edge at four. But in this scenario, you get Kayvon at four, um, you know, you traded your later picks for Debo. It opens up some possibilities here. And like you said, trading down, I think that's number one. But if you can't trade down, which is possible, because, you know, if, if we want to trade down so much because these prospects aren't great, 
why is someone going to want to come up? Uh, of course, the quarterback is a big one. But if you can't get it, then, you know, guys come into play that maybe we're not considering right now. Like, do you think about Devin Lloyd or a linebacker? Do you think about Jordan Davis, Tyler Linderbaum, Derek Stingley? Um, because obviously Hamilton. we're not – Kyle Hamilton, if he's still there. Because um, obviously we're not taking an edge rusher. You're not taking a receiver. Most likely, I don't think you would um, go receiver after already getting Debo. So, so there are options that come into play here that are new options that we're not considering. So what would you do in this scenario? I think it's, yeah, it's definitely the trade down. But in the scenario that I just laid out, like let's say Malik Willis gets picked at six and then, you know, Matt Corral or whoever the quarterback is that in, the, in my eyes, I see the Saints as the team wanting to trade up just because of the trade they made with the Eagles just to me screams gearing up for a trade up. Let's say the Seahawks take them at nine. A huge surprise, which would be very on brand for the Seahawks to take a quarterback out of nowhere there. I guess it's not completely out of nowhere because Drew Locks are started right now. But, you know, if, if those two quarterbacks go and all of a sudden the Saints are like, all right, well, never mind. We don't want to trade up now. We'll just sit back and we'll take Sam Howell or whatever, Kenny Pickett or whatnot. Then I think uh, I think if that happens, uh, there's going to be good players that will fall. I think the temptation to take Kyle Hamilton will certainly arise. Uh, you know, obviously the positional value of safety is not great. I guess you did trade Jamal Adams. So you're kind of trading Jamal Adams and getting back Elijah Vera Tucker and Kyle Hamilton in that scenario. That's not the end of the world. If you believe Kyle Hamilton is a true, excuse me, if a true, a true unicorn, then I think you do it. I mean, I know he didn't have a great 40 time, but his, his relative athletic score was still super high. His film is still among the best of any of these prospects. We know that Robert Solo values safeties. I've made this point a thousand times in this podcast, but you look at the bills, best defense in the league, where are they strong at linebacker and safety? So it is a valuable position. And the Jets are walking out of out of this weekend with Debo Samuel, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Kyle Hamilton. It's hard not to be happy. Um, I think that's that's a possibility. It's also like, look, maybe a guy like Evan Neal falls, and then maybe you do consider him. And I know you don't love Evan Neal, but just best players available at 10, he might be up there. Or maybe they go with a Charles Cross. You know, that they maybe would consider more of a, a guy we haven't considered. I think Hamilton would probably be the favorite if he's not available. I think they look at the corners. I would imagine Sauce Gardner's probably gone. Maybe they take a Stingley, a Booth, a McDuffie. Devin Lloyd's hard, you know, not to love. I, there's a lot of options they could go with here. But I think the thing that really screams out to me is, are any of these guys, I mean, outside of Kyle Hamilton, are any of these guys really big difference makers? I mean, obviously there's some good players that we just listed. Like, I, I think Devin Lloyd's going to be great. But he's 24, and I don't think, if the Jets don't take him at 10, I don't think Devin Lloyd's going to the late teens anyway. So I think it's, there's not a huge talent difference between 10 and 35. So it's like, if they do trade 10, I like, I think they're better suited to fill out the roster at 35 and 38, because I think in this class, especially, I mean, every draft is class is a crapshoot and you're just trying to get as many lottery tickets as possible. But in this draft class, everybody's fairly even. It's, it's the reason why we have no idea who's going to go top three. Uh, it's just get as many lottery tickets as possible and hope that they hit. And it's like, I, I would rather just give up 10 and take the receiver because it seems like that's what you were going to do anyways at 10. And you still leave 35 and 38 to hope that one of these good players does fall, especially with teams reaching for quarterbacks. I do think that there's a chance that Kobe Dean is there at 35 or Tyler Linderbaum or Lewis scene, or, you know, somebody that we maybe aren't even talking about, maybe a McDuffie or a booth. I mean, somebody like that falls to 35. I think that's, a good scenario, a good situation for the Jets to be. But to answer your question, they're sitting there at 10. If they keep it, my expectation would be they want to keep it to trade down, particularly to pick up a first next year. I think that's the main reason you would do that. Um, if they have to keep it, 
I think Kyle Hamilton's probably the favorite there, unless a guy like Sauce Gardner is available. Um, I agree with you. I I think Hamilton is the guy here. And it's like, I know safety's not maybe the sexiest pick to some people, but you put Kyle Hamilton the back end of that defense, especially with the way that that offenses are going, vertical passing offenses, trying to throw downfield. You have a guy in Hamilton that, you know, between him and Whitehead, I think you have one of the better safety duos in the league. I mean, it would, it would certainly be exciting. Um, I do expect though, if they do trade for Debo Samuel, I think they give up that pick. So then it's like, I assume you take, assume you trade for Debo Samuel and you take Kayvon Thibodeau at four. I don't think it changes too much from your targets at 35 and 38. Again, we'll talk a lot more about their targets at 35 and 38 on our next podcast, maybe, maybe two podcasts at the trade for Debo. Um, which will come out Friday morning because we'll be talking about who they picked and then we'll be looking ahead to day two. We'll have a much better uh, chance to look at the, we'll have a much better uh, understanding of, of what the board would look like uh, and who the Jets can target. It's just too hard to predict right now who will be available at 35 and 38, but I, I would bet money that they're going to be guys that'll fall to that spot that you're not expecting. Here's my one caveat. They do pick 10, you know, even if they trade for Debo or they don't, the one guy that I absolutely would be very upset if they took is Trevor Penning. That's the one guy that it's just under no circumstance that I want I to take yeah. him. And I know Connor Hughes was talking about him at the senior bowl. I was like, oh, this is a guy that Joe Douglas is going to love. He's nasty. He's athletic, whatever. I do not want Trevor Penning on the Jets. If they take him, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll rationalize it, but he's the one guy that going into the draft, it's like, I don't really see it. I think I see a raw guy who's, who's old, uh, who's throwing his <laughs> defensive ends into his own quarterback. <laughs> I just don't see it. I don't say, he has a ton of penalties. I'm sure he's quote unquote nasty, but you know, the, the tackle situation, of course, they need to add a tackle in this draft to, to give depth behind Fanton Becton, or maybe even a guy who's going to bump one of those guys out if they take Ikwanu, but Trevor Penning's not that guy. So as long as if, if they get Debo and I honestly won't really care who else they do. If they get Debo and Kayvon, they could take whoever at 10. If, if they take Penning and they, they walk away with, with Penning, Kayvon and Debo, I'll still be happy, but you know, I, I think they could take a Devin Lloyd. I'd be happy. They could take a Linderbaum. They could go a corner or Jordan Davis. They, they, they really open it up to, to go with whatever. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. And before we move on to the, you know, the scenario that they trade 10, one, one more guy I do want to talk about as a possibility at number 10 in, in this scenario, of course, where they already acquired Debo. So receivers off the table, um, but Jordan Davis, I don't want to rule it out. He checks a lot of Joe Douglas boxes. I mean, best, relative athletic score ever for defensive tackle best best or first best it's up there he did a perfect 10 um what didn't, John, what, didn't jonathan marshall have like the second best he was 9.99 <laughs> so we'd so, have one and two yeah i mean so we've seen that precedent with the defensive tackle athleticism they need a fully replacement um it, it, it's just not a pick i'd rule out in in this scenario i don't you know if everything stays put no debo definitely don't see it um but in this scenario, I, I would keep it open. Yeah, and that's the one thing, I've just to circle back to a point we were talking about earlier with Trayvon Walker, because you mentioned Jonathan Marshall, they like to take athletes. I, this Jets coaching staff is really confident in their ability to develop players. And I think, right. look, I think they did prove it to, to an extent last year. I mean, obviously the results weren't all there, but I did think you saw a team that got better. And I think specifically the corners played a lot better. I think you saw some young players develop. Um, and that's something you really haven't seen from the Jets since, you know, what, like Rex Ryan. I mean, there haven't been many players that have developed under Todd, Todd Bulls or Adam Gase um, since I've been watching. Not that it didn't happen, but especially those late round guys, those mid round guys, or even the guys like Trayvon Walker, who were 
you know, who would be obviously they have high floor, but you're drafting him for his ceiling for what, you know, for his relative athletic score, the fact that you think you can develop him into a premier pass rusher based off that athletic profile, a miles Garrett level player. This jets coaching staff is confident in their abilities, which I like. And I do think it does open them up to some players that other, other franchises might deem raw, maybe wouldn't have the confidence to take. I don't think you're going to see that with the jets. They're going to draft fearlessly. Um, so, you know, maybe they do like a guy like Trayvon Walker if he's on the board. Um, I, you know, as I, as I just said, Michael, I don't think, I mean, if they trade 10, which is, I think is the most likely, uh, scenario, I don't, it's kind of hard to predict who they could take at 35 and 38. So let's just move ahead to the last thing, our mock drafts. I mean, we, we, everybody does a mock draft. None of these really matter, but I, I guess, look, we've made a bunch of mock drafts. At one point we were like, all right, let's just go through and you know, list out these mock drafts and how would you grade them? And then I was like, all right, this is going to get a little convoluted. So Michael, I'll just ask you this. What is your ideal, realistic Jets mock draft? Okay. So talking with, say, no Debo. Um, this is why I can't wait for draft season to be over. All these disclaimers, if they do this, if they do that. Can't wait for it to be over. This yeah, is we, we can got. just talk about who's actually on the team. We can just do more talk interviews. Talk about who we got. And- it's certainty. Um, only a few more days, but let's enjoy the speculation a little bit more. Um, perfect draft starts with cave on at four for sure. Um, and I'm not going to include trade downs in this because that's even more hypothetical. Um, but just staying put, I think cave on at four, 10, got to go with my guy, Drake London. I think I, I, there's stuff, yeah. there are traits I like about each receiver, but the guy who like his name comes up and I feel the most confident about, it's got to be him. And James can I, can I, Williams. Can I, pause you right, can I pause you right there? How would you rank those receivers? Because this is our last time to, to really talk about it. Yeah. I mean, how would you rank the receiver options at 10? Because I, I agree with you. I think I was a little bit more behind on Drake London. I watched Joe Blewett's film review. I started to look into more of, uh, to him. And I, when, really what my deciding thing for him was like, if Zach Wilson could pick any of these receivers, I think he's taking Drake London. And I think the yak makes him a fit in this offense. But sorry, how would you rank the, the options at 10, assuming they don't go after Debo? Yeah, so I, I'll put... Uh, Drake London, number one. I think he's the most plus skills. He's also the youngest, and so he has uh, some upside there and had the youngest breakout age, his best production. But just player-wise, he's the most uh, positive traits, I would say. So I'll put him number one. Jameson Williams, like um, the guy's getting to, I think, he, he's probably – it's probably close between him and London, the two receivers I would like the most in that spot. Um but I don't think Gary Wilson and Chris Olave are that far off. I'd be happy with any of those four receivers. I, I waffle between those two. Who do I like more? I think Olave has sharper route running and better overall speed and athleticism, but Garrett Wilson, better yak, um, maybe more explosive potential in terms of yeah. uh, his ability to catch the ball, like, uh, make acrobatic catches, things like that. Not that Olave can't do it as well, but I think it's a more trademark ability for Wilson. Um, yeah, I, my gut is telling me I like Olave more, to be honest. Um, but I think they're really close. So I'll go one London, two Williams, three Olave, four Wilson, but I would be happy with any. Yeah, I actually, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. I don't think I would change any of his rankings and, and they're all close. Like if they take Garrett Wilson, I could, I could really buy into that because I still like Garrett Wilson. You know, like I remember the beginning of this process going to watch some George Carlaftis. And just seeing Garrett Wilson just pop off the screen. I mean, and I think the thing to consider is like, all right, if the Niners trade for 10, 
who do you think they would draft to be their Debo replacement? And obviously we're not Niners podcasters, but I kind of think Garrett Wilson might be their Debo replacement because he's a sharp route runner. He has the athleticism and he brings you the yak. Whereas Drake London's going to bring you the yak, but he's going to bring it in a different way. Maybe they'd go London. But if you look at the, the prototype of receiver that, that, that San Francisco has really gone after, it really is those, those smaller, speedier guys, yak, separation, route running. And I think that's more Garrett Wilson than Drake London. But who knows? I mean, they did take like Jalen Hurd. So, you know, they, they did have a big body guy they drafted. So um, I'd agree with your rankings there. But I think all four of those guys are just so close together. They all kind of bring you a different skill set. And for the Jets, it's, if they're all on the board, it's, it really just comes down to what are you looking for? It's not really right, who's the best right. player. It's like any of those guys that could be talked into, but to really know who I would really want for the Jets, I'd have to be in the meeting room with the coaches and be like, all right, what what exactly are you looking to pair with Elijah Moore, Barrios, and Davis? What exactly do you think is going to help Zach Wilson? What exactly do you ask from for the scheme? Because I think those are kind of three different answers. Like Zach, to help Zach Wilson, you go get Drake London. It's as simple as that to me. But what do you want in the scheme? You probably want – sharper route running you want separation maybe you want more of a burner who can who can you know stretch the defense that's probably more Jamison Williams or Chris Olave and you know what pairs well uh, with with Elijah Moore and 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 Corey Davis and Braxton Berrios that's I mean either London or, or, or Jamison and then there's Garrett Wilson in there as well who I think is kind of a, a blend of both you know best of both worlds kind of guy so I don't know. It really comes down to what exactly they prefer, but I, I think I would, I would line up uh, with, with you pretty well. And also in my ideal mock, I, I would say it's also, if they don't go after Debo, it's, it's probably cave on and Drake London. Uh, I guess give 35 and 38. We yeah. haven't really done that too much. Yeah. And quickly on the receivers, like I agree for me, they're, they're too close to where I'm going to react strongly to it. Cause like you said, it comes down to what they want. I don't know that because I don't work with the jets. So you gotta, you gotta trust that they're taking the player that they want. doesn't mean they'll be right. Because like we said at the beginning, these guys bust all the time. It's not a high hit rate. Um, but in terms of choosing the player out of this bunch, I think the talent is close enough to where uh, you, you trust that they're picking the guy that they think they need the most and is the best fit for their scheme. So, um, But I go with London personally. So moving on to the second round, like you said, it gets hard to project at this point. But um, looking at guys who are projected there right now, I love Travis Jones from Connecticut there's so much to like with him I think he is he fits what they need to fill the Foley role not necessarily in being the player that Foley was because I think part of the reason uh, Foley's not a Jet right now is because as good of a player as he was not a perfect fit for this scheme more of a space eater two gapper three four defensive tackle you need someone who could you know play those rundowns and stop the run but do it as an athlete as a gap shooter you know explode into gaps read the play, contort back to the ball, less of a, you know, play reading, uh, hold your ground type of defensive tackle. And I think Jones can do that. Great run stuffer, but also a great explosive athlete. Um, he's a team captain as well. I've been highlighting all the team captains. I, Douglas has shown a liking for those guys. Um, and he's pass rush upside as well. Um, so I think he can fill that one tech, two eye tech rundown role really well for them right off the bat. Um, so I like Travis Jones, Jaquan Brisker, a lot there's a lot of safety options in this part of the draft that bring different things but um brisker another great athlete great leadership team captain type of guy um and then third round gets really interesting um the linebacker class is hard to project there are guys who are you know like chad muma for example i remember seeing him in at fourth round conversations a couple months ago now people talk about him in the second round 
So I have no idea where these guys are going to go. Um, but one guy I do like, underrated target, Troy Anderson from Montana State. Incredible athleticism score. Um, obviously played lesser competition, but great production, especially coverage production. Um, so he's a guy to look out for. Also played under the Jets uh, at the Senior Bowl and another team captain. So uh, I would like to see a linebacker pick. Um, so those are the, uh, I guess, the, I guess that would be my ideal draft right now, I would say. You know, speaking of linebacker, I think you, you raise a good point. I think this is definitely something the Jets are going to address. It is a deeper linebacker class. So, you know, while I think the dream for me is Nakobe Dean making it to 35, he's a guy that uh, immediately I think is, is a starter for you and he's an impact player. And he's only going to fall because of size concerns. But I, I really have no concerns about Nakobe Dean being a good NFL player. Um, and the other reason is because I think there's a lot of those line, those smaller will linebackers, those faster linebackers in this class. So maybe teams will ignore it and think that they can go get a guy like a Chad Muma, um, you know, later in this draft. But I think one of the things we haven't really talked about is, you know, what type of linebacker do you think the Jets are looking for? Because, you know, obviously those the two guys you listed are, you know, great athletes, um, you know, good in pass coverage. But when you look at the current linebacker room for the Jets, obviously they got CJ Mosley, who's a pencil in as a starter. I think he's probably your Mike, although it is important to note that at the beginning of the year, the Jets are going to have him be more of their strong side linebacker. And, you know, he wasn't the Mike to start off the year. That was draw Davis. So maybe they try to move him back there. Um, Quincy Williams was a guy who really came on and it seems the staff really likes him, but he seems more of a will linebacker, even though he's a great blitzer, he's the smaller body type. It just seems like he's more of a will not, not doesn't have the strength, the play strength to be a strong, uh, strong side linebacker. The two guys that they drafted last year, Jamie and Sherwood and Hams and Nazaldine didn't really see too much of either of them. And Sherwood's battling a, or coming back from a tour in Achilles. So my question to you, Michael, is what type of linebacker do you think the Jets are looking for here? I mean, do you think they're going to try to go for more of the Mike linebacker to replace CJ Mosley, bump him out to Sam? Do you think they're going to be looking for the strong side linebacker they don't really have? Do they go to the pass rushing or to the, the pass coverage linebacker? I mean, when you look at this defense, what type of linebacker should Jets fans be expecting um, on days two and day three of the draft? Hell, maybe even day one if they, they go Devin Lloyd. That, that's a really good topic, and I feel like it's one that we should be putting a lot more thought into. So after I sort of give my take on it, really curious to hear what you think as well. But um, uh, it's a good point because C.J. Mosley, his future is up in, up in the air with this team. Um, I think there's a good chance to, uh, that he gets released after the season because of the cap space they could open up by releasing I think restructure. Him. If he's good, I think they'll, they'll restructure. Yeah, there is that too. But um, again, it still adds to the murkiness of it. So um, do you look for more so that sort of linebacker who could play that Mike role, bigger guy, more, more of a leader, middle of the defense type of player? Do you keep looking for that mold they've been looking for, those smaller athletes? Because um, that's the thing. They have a lot of those guys right now. Quincy Williams, they have now three converted safeties in the room with uh, the two they drafted last year, um, Nazaldine and Sherwood, and then now they just signed Marcel Harris, who was the 49ers' third linebacker last year, playing some will for them in a rotational role. So they have plenty of those guys. They're not great prospects based on um, the production they've shown or where they are drafted, but uh, they do have a lot of them, whereas you know, big-bodied thumpers, which you do still need, um, you know, in that CJ Mosley starting Mike sort of role, not everyone needs to be a super fast, small linebacker. Um, he's really the only guy who fits that mold on the roster, I guess, unless you want to throw Delshawn Phillips in there. Um, so that is 
it's they have less of those than the other archetype but um that other you know the smaller wheel linebacker type they got a lot of them but um none of these guys have proven that they're great yet so you still could add there uh so i i could see either one uh which one do you think if you had to choose one or the other like with say a third round pick which route would you rather go well, I think that they're going to look more. I don't think they're going to look strictly for the the Sam linebacker. I think in today's NFL, you're looking for pass coverage. But like you said, they do have a lot of those smaller pass coverage linebackers. I think they're going to be looking for a Mike linebacker and a guy who can play Will and could you know play Sam. I think they're going to be looking for versatility is the key word. But yeah, I mean, look, solid found is, is Fred Warner. Um and obviously that transformed their defense. I think he kind of has his version of it in CJ Mosley, who had a great year in my eyes last year. But if they drafted a guy like Nicobe Dean, obviously he's the smaller linebacker. So you'd assume, okay, he's a will linebacker. But in my eyes, Nicobe Dean's a Mike linebacker. I mean, he plays like a goddamn bulldog. I mean, you can blitz him. He, he is very similar to, to Quincy Williams in the sense that, you know, his, his play speed and you, you rush him and, you know, just a blink of an eye is at the quarterback. But the thing that separates Nicobe Dean is his instincts, his play rec and his ability to, to track the football and find it immediately. And I think that sometimes, you know, you could see Quincy Williams get lost a little bit. Whereas N'Kobe Dean, he looked like a 10-year NFL veteran on a college field. Even though he's small, you know, and that might cause him to fall, that's a guy who can be a Mike linebacker in this league. And the size is the only thing that's going to hold him back. So I think he's the if he's available at 35, I really do think they could take him because they could play him at will if they're worried about the size. Um, but then they could also put him at Mike, bump Mosley to Sam, and you have a pretty nice three linebacker trio between him, Williams, and Mosley. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's a, a specific archetype in mind, but I think the Mike linebacker is really kind of what they're going to be looking for. And, yeah, the pass coverage in today's NFL is always going to be the emphasis. But, you know, look how bad the Jets were against the, the run. I think most of that is, is on the interior defensive line. But in this system, it, it really puts a lot of strain on the linebackers. I mean, they really have to, in this wide nine front, linebackers have to fill those gaps. And I think the Jets got a little bullied inside at the linebacker position at times. And a guy like Dean, while he's small, he doesn't play small. And he's not a guy that I see getting bullied per se. He might get outmatched sometimes, but he's, he's going to fight. You know, he has a nose for the football. He's going to fight for it every, every down. So it's like, for me, I think they're going to be looking for tough, instinctual, physical linebackers. Um, but yeah, you're always going to have pass coverage in the back of your mind. Um, but yeah, like a question for you about Dean, would you consider making a trade up into the low first for him? If he slips no. like late twenties? No, I mean, no, if, if the Jets are in love with him, that's one thing. But for me, like, I think he's a great player, but I think there's a good chance he, he makes it to 35. I really do. I just think, you know, the way the NFL is going, I don't think there are many teams, you know, when you get, we talked about this a lot, the, the beginning of the second round is so valuable, particularly because the end of the first round is all those contenders, all those teams who think they can win the Super Bowl, And a lot of them are, have a lot of money tied up. So this is their, their, in some cases, their one opportunity to bolster their roster and they draft for need. They draft for the guy that they think can put them over the top. And a lot of times a linebacker, isn't that a lot of times they're going to draft. Okay. We got to bolster our offensive line, or we got to get our, our quarterback, a big weapon or, you know, something like that. And it's like, so that causes good players to fall. And, and, and also they, they need guys who they, they're confident can be immediate contributors. And so, you know, a guy like Dean, I think some teams will have concerns over his size and say, okay, he's going to need time to adjust and whatnot. I don't have those same concerns. I actually think Dean's going to come in and, and be pretty good off the bat, but I, I think, I think he'll fall to 35. And the other reason you don't trade up for him is because like you said, this linebacker class is a lot of good line. There's, it's a deep linebacker class. You know, I love Devin Lloyd. He's probably at the top. Dean's probably number two. 
But then after that, I mean, there are a lot of similarly rated linebackers with high athletic scores. Um, so I think, I think Dean will fall because of that. I think teams who are picking at the end of the first um, will say, you know, look, we can go get a Chad Muma in round two or round three. You know, let's, let's go and bolster offensive line or get a pass rush or whatever that we think is going to put us over the top. For me, the, the targets for Dean, I think, could be at the top of the second. But with Detroit's needed safety and how the safety uh, – the board is it falls pretty well for safety at the top around two. I think they'll they'll burn that pick on a safety. So, you know, for me, the ideal targets like we talked about, Cave on at four, Jake London at ten. If they don't go Debo, I think thirty five and thirty eight for me. It's like if they could get an Kobe Dean and then pair him with a, a Jaquan Brisker or Lewis Seen, I'm extremely happy. Obviously, I like Travis Jones, but I think you know I got I think Jones could make it to round three. I think Perry and Winfrey could make it to round three. I think there's you know there, there's a lot of flexibility here for the Jets. Uh, really quickly before we get out of here, does any of this change? Because that was our dream scenario, um, assuming they don't get Debo. Let's say they get Debo at 10. Does anything change or is it pretty much the exact same? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's pretty similar because, you know, like we said, I think the plan is receiver at 10 anyway. So in terms of the needs, I, I don't think there's a big change uh, if they're able to swing 10 for him. But like we said earlier, if they do, somehow get him with a late round package then there's a lot of possibilities with trade downs or uh an outside the box pick at 10 uh but 10 for Debo straight up I think you're just kind of sticking with the plan right now of using that pick on a wide receiver what if, what if the uh the pick at four is in Kayvon let's say the pick is uh, yeah. Juan or Sauce I think at that point yeah that makes it really interesting then I think edge becomes a huge priority right. with that. Uh, with I like those guys. Those second round picks. Yeah. Like you said, there are, there's a lot of depth at this position as much as, you know, we love these prospects up top and it, it definitely is the best case scenario, but um, you know, if they don't, for whatever reason, get a guy out there, you know, like this scenario, um, you can feel good about, you know, your Mafes, Abiquettis, player like players like that uh, down here, at this part of the draft. Don't you just love it when you get an Adam Schefter tweet notification? You're like, Debo, Debo, Debo. And then it's like, Bears wide receiver Byron Pringle is arrested. Listen to my podcast. Yeah, or, or that. Or listen to my podcast. It's just like, all right. Or like the Jets sign Vinnie Curry. Like, oh, I love Vinnie Curry, but it's like, all right, that's not the Jets news I was necessarily hoping to see. Sorry, that, that was just a quick sidebar. But um, all right, Michael, I think this is probably it. I mean, you've you've been saying that you think the, the Debo news could come on Monday. Um, I, I, look, I'll say this. If he's traded, I think he's a Jet. If he's not... Uh, I think the only reason he's only way he's not a jet is I think as if, if they don't trade him, the Jets just make too much sense. Like the Packers have interest. You really think the 49ers are going to trade him in right. the, you know, right. a team that they're going to probably face in the playoffs to Aaron Rodgers to the floor who reportedly has some kind of beef with Shanahan. If you watch that post game handshake uh, uh, last season, it kind of came off that way a little bit. So I just, I think if he's traded, he's a jet. If he's not a Jet, he's a 49er. That's just how I look at it. Um, so if, if Yeah, just, it, it does see that way. It's seen that way. It's like, obviously we're biased, but like it, it's hard to argue that who anyone else, else, else is a favorite. Who else has the capital and the money to do so? I mean, the Jets are one of the few teams that have really positioned themselves well to take on a big right. salary right now. At least among it. the teams that are mentioned, like you said, Green Bay, don't see it. They're a rival. And then Detroit, you know, the, the Jets have and, that 10th pick there and the Lions can't really rival that if the, if the Niners are looking for a first-round pick. Obviously, the Lions have two, but we assume that's out of the equation. So it's tough to see a real competitor. Yeah, would you would you give up four for Debo? 
I know this is like an absurd question, and I don't see that ever happening. But let's say the Jets trade for Debo, but they give up four. Would you? How would you feel? <sighs> like my first reaction is that like I can't be mad. It, it man. If there was it, a it Jamar, is, if there a was a Jamar Chase in this draft, a lot of people would say the Jets would draft him at four, right? So it's like yeah. it's not like receivers should be out of the question at four. But you still have the tenth pick, so it's not like you're sacrificing the ability to make a top ten pick. My brain says that is absurd. My heart says because, just give me Debo right Because 10, <laughs> 10 compared to all the receiver packages we've seen recently from Devontae Adams to I'll even go back a few years to DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, like right. if you look at all the receiver trade packages, Amari Cooper, I mean, you pointed this out to me. I'm trying to remember the other ones. Why can I not think of other receiver? Tra- Anyways, Hill, none of them. Re- geez, yeah, Cooks. the obvious one. Hill, Cooks. None of them hit 10, you know? So that's already, you could argue the Jets are quote right. unquote overpaying. I mean, I don't think that's the case, but like, those other guys were not getting the tenth overall pick, so I, I agree with you. Right, um, and, and I, I do think like like at ten, you're like we said, we're planning to take a receiver anyway, so it doesn't feel like a huge loss. But then at four, it's like you know, Thibodeau, Gardner, Equanu. This is where you're really missing. It feels like you'd be missing out on someone. Four would be a little bit. I, I wouldn't right. be mad. Like they, they'd have Debo Samuel. I wouldn't. Every time he makes a play, like oh, could I have the fourth pick instead of him? So I wouldn't be mad but uh that's that's uh, being objectively trying to take you know the heart out of it that's an overpay but 10 let's go for it all right so maybe we'll have another podcast before the draft talking about Debo Samuel maybe we won't uh regardless thank god it's almost drafts uh draft season is over and the draft is almost here I mean I'm so sick of talking about these prospects so we appreciate you guys listening to our episodes the last few months, very excited to, to drop four next week, maybe five, uh, or this week, I mean. Um, so you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, uh, Michael, Michael underscore Nanny, and myself at Ben W. Blessington. Go to JetsXFactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content, especially this week. Jets X Factor guys are going to have a lot uh, coming your way. Um, so, yeah, Michael, uh, I guess that's it. Any last thoughts before we get to the NFL draft slash potential Debo Samuel podcast? Uh, let's just say NFL draft. Let's not jinx it. Debo's still, you know, hypothetical. Any last I thoughts? I don't know. I don't know. Draft? Maybe maybe we should go the reserve the reverse route because I was thinking, like with Tyree Kill, I wasn't watching any highlights. I, I was saying I'm not going to get excited just in case. And they didn't trade for him, so maybe the football gods sort of took that as a sign of disrespect towards his <laughs> game. So maybe this time around, it's like watch more Debo highlights, show them that yeah, we manifest respect it. him, that we want him. Manifest. And, and I've already been doing that. I mean, you and I watched a 10 minute film review of him before we started. <laughs> Uh, before we started recording, no, we're gonna this, watch so. another one after this podcast. Don't you worry. So I'm I'm already uh, invested into this plan. Let's I'm trying to do the reverse. Let's actually manifest it, like you okay. said. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, have a great week. We'll see what happens on the receiver front, but regardless, it's gonna be an exciting week for the Jets. This team is gonna get a whole lot better. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be back later this week. <laughs>